Welcome to the first episode of At Odds with Rob Pizzola here, joined by Johnny from Betstamp. Both of us are sports bettors and come from different, unique backgrounds and attack different sports markets. So hopefully this will be interesting for those going forwards as we look to get into some uh, different topics uh, over the course of the next few months and hopefully longer than that uh, from the sports betting realm. Uh, we'll start with the first episode here, which is going to be mainly centered around Super Bowl props and not necessarily some picks per se, but more so some strategy, uh, how we dig into props, what we're looking for in value and things of that nature. Hopefully that you can take forward into next year's NFL season as well, or just uh, really any other sports league. And then we'll talk about season long futures and, and all futures, really, whether or not it's worth it um, to tie up money and accounts for longer periods of time. Uh, I know that certainly uh, we might disagree on this subject, myself and Johnny, but uh, should lead to an interesting conversation. So with that, let's get right into it. All right, Johnny, let's talk some Super Bowl props. This is always fascinating to me because personally, I'm not a huge props better myself. I know you bet a lot more props than I do. Uh, but that doesn't mean I don't have an opinion on how you should bet the Super Bowl, what props you should look for, where you can find value. To me, though, one of the most interesting things is, is I guess, an element of risk management, right? Because there's so many different props for you to be able to bet on. And a lot of times, and I learned this at a younger age myself, losing a lot of money on one Super Bowl in particular, but most of the props that you're going to bet on are correlated with what you like in the game. Like if you if you like the over in the game or the under in the game, a lot of the player props that you're going to bet are highly tied to that. And what ends up happening is you end up building a portfolio, sometimes accidentally, of all these similar things that are tied to one game outcome, which could be great if you win them all, or it could be horrible if you lose them all. So I think that there's like this element of risk management that when it comes to props where I'm a little bit more selective uh, because... Um, I look for the bigger edges. I play the bigger edges, but I try to really diversify my portfolio as much as possible to try to not end up rooting for all of these th same things that are highly correlated. Um, and, and that's just a personal preference of mine. And others might say, well, you're crazy. I just try to get down as much money as humanly possible on all of these. And that's fine too. But I think that runs a risk of, uh, you know, a huge bankroll loss potentially. And I'm just interested in your thoughts on that and how you approach uh, Super Bowl props betting. Yeah. So great, great points for sure. Um, the thing is it's one game, right? It's one game and it is typically the biggest game, the most watched game. So people, you know, feel in most cases, like they want to have some solid action. Like this is the Super Bowl of all games, right? It's you, you hear that it referred to that. Um, what I would say is because it's one game, the variance will definitely get you. If you're primarily betting unders or primarily betting overs, then you have to know that that bet is correlated. The, all those bets are correlated. So, you know, a passing yards over and a receiving over, or if you have, if you were really big on Mahomes this year and he gets injured in the, in the first play, that's one game. You're going to lose all your bets for the Super Bowl. So there's definitely a unique element to risk management that people need to need to do. But at the same time, the liquidity for anyone who is betting a little bit more seriously on this game, if you do have a lot of these small edges on prop markets or alt markets, this is the best time by far to get the most money down. So typically you're probably going to get, I mean, I'd say at least eight to 10 X what you can get on a regular player prop on a Super Bowl player prop. So for most prop betters for the NFL season, it sucks to say, but your, your Super Bowl does, you know, make or break your year in a sense. Yeah, I mean, I don't discriminate against any uh, any different ways of betting the Super Bowl, so to speak. And you know, I, I see people that I highly respect with the stacks of prop tickets going, you know, from casino to casino, playing wherever whatever edge they can. I know the people that are looking for middles all the time on the Super Bowl, where they're looking for one shop dealing one number, another shop dealing another. I think there's a lot of different ways to go about it, just in general. Uh, but for me, I think I think. I just really want to preach like risk management. And I think a lot of people end up building a portfolio where they don't realize how things can get out of hand and spiral out of control very quickly when you tie all your things to one outcome. Um, so that's just something I'm obviously always cognizant of. And then on top of that, I think people just naturally start to gravitate to all of these long shot props because 
for whatever reason, either they want to pat themselves on the back for, for winning like an eight to one on there being a safety in a game or something like that, but they're not really understanding the, the actual probabilities of, of these outcomes happening. So they build this portfolio of, of all these long shots, which is probably like the most negative expected value portfolio you can have just in general, because you're getting nowhere near the correct odds to actually play some of these things. And the safety I brought up as an example, because we we saw it happen in, in Super Bowls in the past. So naturally people will always gravitate to this prop probably for like the next 20 years. They're going to point to these past Super Bowls of there being a safety and say, well, I can get eight to one or 10 to one on there being a safety in a game and really not understanding that that's a horrible price for a safety to happen in an NFL game. Um, and, and I think kind of people, they, they're, they're blurred by what's happened in the past, maybe some recency bias in past Super Bowls, when in reality, they should be looking at a larger sample of games rather than just the Super Bowl alone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just for starters, I'd, I'd lay minus a thousand on no safety, no problem. I, and you can get better prices. You could lay minus 750 up to minus a thousand, no problem this year. And it's been even better in previous years. But outside of that, I think, I mean, the reason why this happens is pretty clear. People, I mean, I don't know if you want to call it lottery mentality, but people definitely, you know, they'll look at a minus 5,000 and they'll say, I got a, I got about 5,000 bucks to win a hundred. Like it's not really glorious. It's not, you know, you have to, if you're betting on at a post-up book where you have to actually deposit money and then bet it, then you have to have 5,000 in your account, which might tie up a lot of your money that you would have bet on the Super Bowl. If you only have 300 in your account, you're much more likely to bet $100 three times on the plus 500 or plus 5,000 long shots. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. So I've seen for years now, uh, this same trend that you just mentioned come up over and over again, which is when something happens in a previous year, in a previous year's Super Bowl specifically, and everyone had watched that, the next year's Super Bowl typically has that prop market open at egregious odds on the no price. So one example is, you know, there was a, a blackout in the Ravens 49ers Super Bowl years ago. And they, all of the books that I play at posted, will there be a blackout? Yes, no odds for at least the next four or five years and no prices in the range of like minus 2,500. So 25 to one, that there's going to be no blackout at the Super Bowl. It's ridiculous. I mean, it, just because it happened the, the prior year. So looking for these things and looking for the trends that just happened last year or whatever is hot and current in the news provides an easy edge for people to, if they can stomach, you know, laying that no price, which we know is not for everybody. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, let's take that a bit further uh, and looking at some of the props that have been listed this year, I've noticed that there's a lot centered around politics just in general, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, and things of that nature at the Super Bowl, which to me is like, it's it's kind of irrelevant for the Super Bowl, right? Like, why would Donald Trump come up on this year's broadcast? And, and I'm looking at odds on some of these markets, and by no means is my expertise. Like, I, I'm just taking a, a guess. But the reality is I just have to guess better than what the trader at some prop shop is offering on these. And, like, I just don't envision a scenario where Donald Trump is brought up, and, and I'm looking at some of these prices, and I'm I'm saying to myself, like, what am I missing here? And I think you, you bring up a good point in terms of recency bias. What's been in the news lately? What are some things that sportsbooks can get press out of by listing a prop, uh, you know, regarding that. And if you're able to easily spot that kind of stuff, you can get what is really absurd edges now, like limits are smaller, but I mean, money is money, right? Money is money. They're definitely small limits, but for the, the person who is betting, you know, 25, 50, hundred bucks on the game and wants to compound these and bet 10, 20, uh, you, you could make, you know, definitely enough to cover your Super Bowl party expenses and all that stuff. So, I mean, yeah, you're not going to make a living off of this, but overall there's, there's a ton more. I'll even give some other ones that are typically this, like specific to this year. Um, again, no, no opinions, but on, on the politics stuff, like there, there are going to be a lot of props that do include like, will there, will this guy be shown? Will, will they show Donald Trump? How many tweets will he have? And like, Typically, they are just overinflated prices to incite people to bet and uh, incentivize people to bet the yes. So, you know, the no on all those markets is typically good value. Uh, outside of that, this year specifically, in regards to like having a female official at the game, there's a lot of props I've seen 
you know, they're comical. Yeah, ri- ridiculous. Want- I've, se- I've seen some of that you're going to reference as well. Yeah, I don't even want to bring them up, but uh, it's in some cases like, will an NFL player like knock the female official to the ground and you're getting a price that, you know, she's just as likely or unlikely to get knocked to the ground as any other official in the game because these guys are, you know, if a lineman runs into you, it's so you have to just consider like, you know, what, because I guess of, of the market and the trend that's coming in, they want to incite the press. They want to incite, they want to get action on this. So ultimately those no prices, I think have some value as well. And then looking even like one step further, all of the media references to around like the personal life of the players or the, the narratives or the backstories typically also offer good value. So Brady has been in the Super Bowl for years. Uh, Every time Brady is in the bowl, you'll see a prop up like how many times will Giselle be shown on screen? Um, typically, they they inflate that. There's always going to be a prop of you know, how many times will Roger Goodell be shown? I see some stuff now. Will they mention Bill Belichick? How many times will he be mentioned? Uh, really, you know, all of these things can happen and you're not laying minus a thousand prices. These are more, more closer to 50-50, you know, over one and a half or over one. But ultimately, if you sum them all up, they can't possibly show all of these people on on the screen. It's there's not enough time in the game. Exactly, and, and people kind of talk themselves into the narrative, right? Like, well, Giselle is Brady's wife, of course. Like, the, these she's going to get shown, but like, no, the, the the focus of most of these broadcasts is the actual football game itself. Like, that's just the reality of it. And especially when you look at a, a Bucks Chiefs Super Bowl, there's going to be more than enough talking points be, between Brady and Mahomes being on the field themselves than having to show other people in the crowd or mentions of other things. Um, so those kinds of things, I totally agree with you. And like I said, they're small market stuff, but at the end of the day, if you're assembling a, a portfolio of props, like th- there's all sorts of value to be had there. And, and just one thing I, I want to touch on, and this is something I touch on pretty regularly uh, on the periscopes that I, I've done on Sundays and things of that nature, but I think people should really get into the habit of, of taking these prices for a prop and converting them to percentages right away. Because a lot of people don't do that. And when you do convert it to a percentage, I think things will stand out to you a lot clearer. And you'll say, there's no way that this should be only 80% to happen. Or there's no way that this is going to happen a quarter of the time. And once you start doing that, which it's a very easy thing to do, you can find odds converter tools online, you can convert it yourself in a spreadsheet or whatever. But once you start doing that, a lot of these things become way more apparent to you and you'll be seeing value all over the board. I agree completely. So I think that's topic number one. We'll, we'll call it the long shot mentality, the long shot favorites and finding an edge on the no prices, the under prices and the long favorites. So if you're looking, uh, I mean, take a look. And then as always, that like I, I have to preach this, you need to compare every single out that you have and and you will find different prices on these which are out to lunch so on a game on a game line on the actual super bowl you you should still line shop but you likely will not find discrepancies of more than you know 10 cents in total but on these props you'll you will find you know on the giselle prop for example there's there's a one and a half line and then there's a two and a half line juiced at the exact same amount so you know, you want that extra time, like the, the two and a half should be good. The one and a half, you know, maybe she gets shown twice. If you shop around, you can find these different uh, odd sets and for prop markets and especially Super Bowl column, uh, like entertainment type style market, you're going to find crazy discrepancies and you're always going to want to get the best price because even if you don't, um, even if you win, you, you still, you risk less or, you know, you could win more if it's a, if it's a long shot. I like I like how you pointed that out at the end because that's that's the common um, argument I get against line shopping. Like, why would I have multiple sports books? You know, if I win, I'm winning the same amount, and it's like, no, that's not entirely true. Um, but like, the the concept of expected value is lost on people, and and I think you're right, especially Super Bowl like this. So many different props being offered, so many different shops offering these props. You can really take advantage of that. Like, there's a lot of I know guys who've just been middling Super Bowl props for years. It's a lot of work, of course. I mean, you have to, you have to put that work in and look around. Uh, but it's it's one of the single biggest advantages you have as a better is the ability to get down at different prices. For sure. Okay, so let's get into uh, the second topic here. And here's something I really wanted to uh, wanted to touch on is the Super Bowl MVP market. So 
the Super Bowl MVP is whoever is the most valuable player in the Super Bowl. Now, typically they offer a long list and it's the same thing with the long shot mentality. People would want to try to pick out, oh, if you know this running back has a big game, he might be able to win it or if this receiver or the, this defensive player. But ultimately what I want to you know preach here is my mentality of how I look at this prop and how I would typically break it down if I was betting it. So for starters, the main thing you need to do when you break down anything, let alone a specific prop like this, is find out how that prop gets graded. So there have been rule changes over the years, and, and most people won't really know that the Super Bowl MVP is not selected by like one person. It's not, you know, the coach doesn't choose who wins MVP. It's a, there's a specific process that goes into how that MVP gets selected. And if you can understand that, then you can try to find an angle or, or something that you may be able to take advantage of. So for this upcoming Super Bowl and for last Super Bowl, the way the MVP is calculated is uh, there is a team of beat writers. I believe there's about, I think there's 16 beat writers and they all get a vote. That counts for 80% of the Super Bowl MVP vote. And then there's a fan voting aspect that they wanted to you know, enter in of, hey, also the fans are gonna you know, be able to decide who wins the MVP. And the fan voting accounts for 20% of the vote. So now when you factor that in, you're saying, okay, this thing is going to be selected by someone in the media and somebody who is a fan of the game. Typically at that point, who are they going to, going to root for? You can also look back and determine like, yeah, when the winning team, when the team wins, someone from that team is almost always, especially in today's game, it's, it's always going to be someone from the winning team. That's a Super Bowl MVP. So you need to backtrack and really calculate if Kansas City wins the game, who else can in theory win that MVP other than Patrick Mahomes? And then if adversely, if Tom Brady, if, if Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl this year on Tampa Bay, his first year in the NFC on Tampa Bay, what beat writer and, and fan is not voting Tom Brady for MVP? So if they were statistically based and they were based on metrics of in-game performance, like, uh, you know, a rushing yard's worth this, a touchdown's worth this, and you could sum it up to some quantifiable thing, then we'd have to model that from the ground up and say, these are these are my projections and here's who's gonna win MVP. But in something like this, I think there's an insane edge to be had on betting both of the team's quarterbacks. And I'll go one further after we get your thoughts, but on betting, you know, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes for MVP based on the side you want in the game. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I'm just going to add one thing to that as well is the total of the game, which is 56, 56 and a half, 57, depending on where you're, you're, you're shopping at right now. So you have a high total that decreases the likelihood that someone like a, a running back or wide receiver is going to get all the touchdowns for a team. Like this isn't a low total of 40, like in a past Super Bowl, where potentially if a running back gets in the end zone twice, or a receiver catches a couple touchdowns, they're likely to get the MVP. This is more so two quarterbacks who spread the ball around a ton for for one. They have lots of weapons on both sides of the ball. Uh, sorry, on on both offenses. It's I, I'm a, I'm in agreement with you. I think that it's incredibly valuable in betting either of these quarterbacks at MVP or looking at a prop where a quarterback will be the MVP just in general. And I'd go so as I'd go as far as saying. Like if you like Kansas City in the game on the money line, there's probably an argument to be made that you should just bet Mahomes MVP instead of betting Kansas City money line. Like uh, this is this is not like a regular season game where you have to be concerned about getting down a certain amount of money on props. Like you could get whatever you want on Mahomes MVP if 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 you're shopping around. Um, so it's it's one of those where I almost feel like that would have more value because what does it take for Kansas City to win and Mahomes not to get MVP. Like, what does three touchdowns maybe from like Kelsey or Hill and to you know not no one else gets a touchdown? I, defensive touchdown like is that going to do it this year? Probably not with a game this high in the you know in terms of total. So um, I agree with you there, Johnny. I think that's like certainly one of the most valuable bets this year. Yeah, and I'd be happy to break down the numbers further for people who, and we can put a graphic on screen for people who want to understand this better. So if you want to say, you know, Rob mentioned 
if you want to bet Kansas City, maybe there there is potentially an edge to just betting Ken, uh, Patrick Mahomes winning the MVP instead of Kansas City on the money line. So we can break that down right now. So if you shop around for Mahomes MVP prices, um, I've seen actually as high as plus 125. That's not really a market number. Uh, I'd say if you shopped around and used a couple of sites, you'd have no pro- no trouble right now finding a plus 100 for Patrick Mahomes um, on the on the money line essentially to win the MVP. So that would be an implied win probability. 50%. If you if you win that one and two, you're going to break even. Uh, let's compare that now with the spread of the game, or sorry, the money line of the game. So I'll do this both for Mahomes and Brady so people can kind of get the, the the rationale here. But the spread, uh, sorry, the money line is about 155, minus 155 for Kansas City without the VIG. So you can say one, minus 155 for Kansas City and plus 155 for Tampa would be kind of a fair price. That roughly equates to about a 60-40 split. So what the odds are saying, what the market's saying is that Kansas City should win the game 60% of the time. Uh, you only need to win that MVP bet on Mahomes 50% of the time. So you have basically a 10% window there where if you believe that the chances of Kansas City winning the game and somebody else other than Patrick Mahomes winning the MVP are greater than 10%, then you should bet on the money on the money line for Kansas City. If you feel they're less than 10%, then you should be betting on Patrick Mahomes. So that's an easy way to actually think about it in your head and, and say, is this a good bet? What do I feel? So you're essentially then saying, I like the Chiefs, but this is a better way to do it because I think if Kansas City wins the game, there's only a 3% chance. There's only a 5% chance that Mahomes doesn't win the MVP. So, and then adversely with Brady, I think a fair market price right now, again, shop around, you can find better, but in the range of plus 250, which when you convert that back, and I won't do the math on screen again, we can put a graphic up, but it's roughly around the same 10% chance that Tampa Bay wins the game and Brady doesn't win the MVP would be your break-even point. So uh, I'd say there is an edge to be had on that based on you know my own analysis, but I, I'll leave it to you guys to, to determine, do you think you know it's a 10% likelihood or, or less? And you brought it up, Johnny. Like, Remember who's voting on these, right? It's, it's not... I don't want to say it's not impartial, but it kind of is not impartial, right? I mean, you you have beat writers who've been following Brady his entire career. He wins with a new team. Like, unless this is like a 17-14 final score or low-scoring game where there's less scores to go around, uh, I mean, it's it's hard to envision a type of game where someone else wins it. And again, I know people are drawn to long shots and they want to root in some sort of long long shot. But even if you go back just a year ago and look at the Super Bowl there's a pretty strong argument to be made that Mahomes was not the MVP last year. And there was never a doubt in my mind leading up to the announcement that he was going to win the MVP. Like, come back in the fourth quarter. It didn't matter what, what Damian Williams did on the ground in that game or, or the fact that he actually sealed the game for them just in general. There was almost no chance at, at that time, like I would have laid a thou- minus a thousand that Mahomes was going to win the MVP, even though the stat lines showed that Maybe he's not deserving of it, or maybe he's not going to win it this year. So that's something to keep in the back of your mind as well. Um, it's like really try to envision a scenario where one of these guys doesn't get it, and when you try to, it's it's hard. Okay, and I'll take it. I agree one hundred percent. And I'll take it one step further of d- digging a little bit deeper into the math, and then trying to. It's a good lesson for people here as well. If you're trying to find extra value on a bet that you already like, so. If you're now saying, you know, I'm sold in, I don't think that, you know, Kansas City could win the Super Bowl and Mahomes not win MVP. I think it's maybe a one, two percent chance. So I'm going to bet Mahomes on the MVP. If you look further, you can find different edges as well. So if you were to bet Brady and Mahomes and bet them both, so you bet the plus 100 and you bet the plus 250. If you shop around, you can find a better price than that on a quarterback wins the Super Bowl MVP. So what I'm looking at and what I've been, you know, collecting throughout the last couple of weeks is anything in the range of minus 300. So if we went with the fair price of roughly minus 350, then you get a few extra percentage points in your your buffer there. You know, so you had your 10% for Brady, 10% for Mahomes, but the minus 350, you get almost like a 22 and a half percent. And then what other what else doesn't really get factored in is 
there is a chance that, you know, Mahomes does go down and, you know, knock on wood, but there's a chance Mahomes goes down with a first quarter injury or Brady goes down and then somebody comes in and, you know, off the bench has a great game and then they win the MVP and you're covered there in the, the positional battle where it's QB instead of just, you know, Brady or Mahomes as a player. It's a really good point. I mean, that that's the, the biggest factor is, I guess, if either of them gets injured, um, then you're, you're really in trouble from that point of view. But from your bet, where it's quarterback position, um, like you're still safe at that point in, in case a bench quarterback comes in and uh, has a big game. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, that's just a good, that's just a good lesson in, in shopping and trying to find alternative value. And just in general, like drawing it back to the point I made off the top about your risk management and how you balance your portfolio. Like if you like Kansas City or Tampa Bay in the game and you feel strongly about it, um, you could end up on that prop. The yes for both quarterbacks as well as kind of a hedge against your full game bet on one of the money lines or one of the spreads as well. So there's that. that's what's great about the Super Bowl in general. I mean, it can be overwhelming to a lot of people to have to dig through all of these props. But if you look hard enough, like there's value to be had just like all over the place, really. Okay. Um, so on to the, the third prop here, the third discussion point that we want to mention is the old defer versus receive of, of the kickoff and potentially finding an edge here on some of the alternate markets. So I've, I've done a lot of work on this personally, and I can tell you that there is basically no chance it's it's a very very low likelihood that andy reed will win the kickoff and kansas city will win the kickoff and they will not elect to kick off so kansas city primarily will defer the ball when you look at bruce arians in tampa bay recently he has been also doing the same trend of deferring the ball but if you're pulling the decisions he's made over like a two or three year basis he at one time he was electing to receive more often and given the fact that is a Super Bowl is a different kind of game, you know, maybe he wants to take the ball first, get, get some momentum there. You know, they technically are at home, whatever narrative you want to spin. I do think there's a significantly higher chance that Bruce Arians will take the ball first versus Andy Reid taking the ball first, which I would cap at essentially, you know, less than a 1% chance. So if I were to set prices on both of those, uh, even just by looking at the market, I'd say likely a 33% chance. Um, so two thirds to Andy Reed deferring the ball and one third to him receiving the ball. So now when you sum that up, you're in a Kansas city coin toss win, Tampa gets the ball first in a Tampa Bay coin toss win, you've got a one in third chance that Tampa Bay gets the ball first. So they've now, they now have a significantly higher chance of receiving the ball first in the game. So like I said, the first score of the game and all these things, it typically already has these factored in, but you may be able to find an advantage here in some of the low level derivative props that are available. For example, the the coach that is shown first and, and a lot of books have this as a in play only. So coach that's shown first is typically going to be the guy who has the ball. Now it's not always the case, but typically will be. The quarterback who is shown first is typically going to be QB who had the ball. So, you know, shop around if you can find this in a reasonable price and you have the math that I kind of just talked us through now. Uh, you may be able to find some edges in, you know, Tampa Bay to be shown first type props for Arians, Brady. Uh, and then also there's other markets such as like first to punt. Now it's no guarantee that Tampa Bay gets the ball first. It's no guarantee that they get the ball first and then don't score a touchdown. But they are, if you do get the, the ball first, you're more likely to score a TD first. You're more likely to punt first. You're more likely to get your coach shown, QB shown and the whole, you know, whole shebang. So that's an angle that I have worked on in the past and I think is slowly being built more into the market, into the regular day-to-day -day NFL, week-to-week -week Sunday. But on the Super Bowl, you have these other markets that come up where just take a look around, you'll find some stuff. Yeah, I remember I'm, I'm thinking back to the Rams-Patriots Super Bowl a few years ago um, where uh, I, I bet pretty heavily on whether or not the opening kickoff would be a touchback based off of how I thought teams would defer or receive the ball because there was a drastic discrepancy in the kicking power of both teams' kickers as well, which wasn't accurately priced into that market. So um, I think that there's opportunities there. Obviously, I think they're they're getting sharper over time, just as like the industry is kind of getting sharper over time as, as more and more people are paying attention to sports betting. But a, a little thing like that, handicapping like a small edge 
like that, that's maybe not priced in can filter its way into all these other uh, prop categories as well. Correct. And that's, and that's something to factor in for sure. Um, and then one last one uh, to close it out is the thing that you really only see around the Super Bowl timing, which is the multi-sport or cross-sport props that come into play. So for example, you, it's usually, it's typically games or events that occur on the same day as the Super Bowl, but maybe earlier in the day. So if, for example, Golden State is playing, you might have you know, Steph Curry three-pointers versus this outcome in the game. So I don't have any to give out. I don't have any edges or angles to give out here, but all I will say is those props uh, all have a price associated with them. So, you know, Steph Curry, how many threes he will get in the game, that's a prop that's marketed and they, they put that out for every single game. So it's not very hard to know what the, the price on that is gonna be. If you wait, if you bet it now, you're not gonna have the true price of what Steph Curry threes is. But if you wait till the day of the game, you will find that Steph Curry threes is a market that's bettable. And it might be, you know, three and a half threes juiced over, something like that. If you can now compare that to whatever the market is in the Super Bowl, by the time a lot of these, you know, Steph Curry market types are published, the lines have moved enough where it opens up arbitrage opportunities or middle opportunities with these cross-board props. Uh, and that's an angle that, again, I've been playing for a while and I think it's just, it, you, it's so easy to calculate because you don't even have to do your own modeling. It's stuff that's already available and all you have to do is look at the market numbers for these and you can find some edges. Yep. And what I've particularly noticed about those over the course of, course of many years is they're not really accounting for... <laughs> Uh, let, let's just say odds makers are slow to adjust those based off of the steam that happens on game day. Um, so for example, I've seen ones before and I'm, I'm, I'm a big hockey better. A lot of people know that about me, but where it will compare total goal, goals in a game versus a wide receiver receptions or something along those lines. And you'll see steam come in on the over under of uh, that hockey total, yet the line does not move for the the head-to-head -head prop against the receiver. So these are things to factor in as well, where you can capitalize if you're following in real time because um, the odds makers aren't really adjusting to the steam that's coming in on game day, particularly because they're focused on trading the the Super Bowl and they'll take a bad bet or take a bet with an edge and then move the price afterwards. So um, little advantages, but stuff that over the long run, it adds up. Yeah, well, there's no auto mover in place for these right. for these small level props. So you can find, you know, if it, like even on on an example where Steph Curry threes, for example, if you know another player on the team's ruled out, or if somebody or if they announce Steph Curry's gonna be on a minutes limit, that prop's not gonna move first. The actual Steph Curry threes prop will move, and then slowly but surely people will get to that other Super Bowl prop. And if you're quick to react on news, you'll be able to hit that easily before uh, before market gets to it. I have a lot of friends that are in the sports betting space on, on the other side of the counter. Um, and the reality is Super Bowl Sunday comes up uh, up, and they have their big sheet with all the liabilities and they can follow all the bets in real time. And they're going to move based off of where money is coming in on that day. Like there's just so many props offered at each individual shop. It's impossible for someone to stay ahead of everything else. So if you're a better that can consistently get out in front of news or see something happen and say, how is this going to affect all these different markets? You're able to get a pretty sizable edge that you're not going to get at other points over the course of the year, just by being quick and understanding how, you know, one outcome ultimately impacts a variety of different props. Great. So that's a good way to close it out. And, uh, you know, Wish everyone best of luck on their Super Bowl props and keep grinding through line shop and, you know, let us know if you have any other edges or anything else that you, you know, uncover. Okay, so a hot topic here. We're going to talk about season long future bets. Are they a good idea? Are they a bad idea? What to look for and what you need to consider when placing these season long future bets. All right, I'm going to kick it off and I'm going to say my opinion is season long future bets such as the ones you're about to see right after the Super Bowl closes are not a good idea to be betting right now. And I can take you through a list of reasons why I think the money could be better spent elsewhere or better invested elsewhere. So what I'm referring to specifically is right after Kansas City or Tampa Bay wins the Super Bowl on Sunday, what you're going to see 
is a ton of other books, probably every other sports book saying, go ahead and bet the season long futures, go bet the Super Bowl futures for 2022. In fact, we've already got a plethora of books that have the odds posted already before the outcome is even known. You've got Kansas City as your perennial favorite. You got a bunch of teams in the in the cluster. You have, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, you have the Rams that just got Matt Stafford being boosted up. And and ultimately it's a, it's very exciting to say, "Oh, I think this team, you know, can make a run and this is a long shot and I can bet them now." And it's all it's all great, but really when you break it down, here are five things you need to consider when placing these future bets. You ready, Rob? Go for it. And then I'll tell you why I might disagree on some points. Okay. So number one, a higher hold percentage. So when you're betting regular NFL games, minus 110, minus 110, everybody knows you're betting into a hold or a a juice percentage that the book's taking, a commission rather, of around 4.55%. With these futures markets, depending on the sports book and the variant, the hold percentage is much higher than that. So to find an edge and uncover an edge on one of these teams, you really do need to have, you know, that you really do need to have a really good model or a really good edge or really good intuition to, to say something's going to happen to overcome the house vig that already exists on these markets. OK, so that's point number one is the futures markets typically and not always have the highest vig in the book. But what I'm going to explain to you now is why the vig on a futures bet is not the same as the vig on a bet that grades today. So point number two is the time value of money. When you bet on the Super Bowl right now, I know for a fact that that bet cannot grade and cannot come, the cash cannot come back into my account until the Super Bowl that occurs in February of 2022. So I am now giving the sports book a loan for one year. Now, overall, you can say what you want about, you know, investing, people invest in, you know, whether it be stocks or alternate investments, whatever it is, that time value of money is something. So for some people who, who say I can earn a 10% return, that's great. Others may want to say I can earn a 5% return. But overall, I think in a somewhat conservative manner, and it's different for everybody, you need to factor in some sort of percentage. So for me, I'd factor in roughly, let's say a 7% return that I might be able to you know, achieving something else, another type of investment. So now on top of that sports book hold, which is already higher, I need to now overcome the edge by roughly another 7% just for my investment in this futures bet to be break even with something that I may have put into the stock market or real estate or an alternate investment. So when you factor this in on top of the already high VIG, you now have an an astronomical edge to overcome, in my opinion. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's definitely a lot harder, okay? Um, One argument I typically hear to that is, you know, this only is in existence for accounts where you need to post up and where you need to send money to the sports book first and deposit and then hold your money there. But if you have a book that bets on credit, then maybe this doesn't exist. My argument back would be that, in fact, with a credit book, the credit that you're giving up is even more valuable than the money you would you would deposit. Because if you deposit that money, then that money's gone at a 7% return expected. But if you're playing on credit and credit accounts, now you have to factor in the fact that you are not going to have all of that money being put in play week over week, churning day after day on expected edge. So if you have no edges, you can disregard this. But if you're a better who's serious and has a lot of edges that they may be playing right now and can use that extra credit, you're definitely giving up more than what would be a seven or a 10% ROI on this money because of the fact that you can compound that money year over year, day over day. So that's that's the third point. Um, and then really, I think something that, you know, Maybe it doesn't get factored in as much right now, but but definitely when I you know kind of made this point and was considering placing my futures last year, I had to factor this in is the potential of a postponed or canceled season based on whatever you know COVID protocols or anything else happens. So for the MLB season, you know we saw it ended up working out for some futures, others were canceled depending on the rules of the book, yada yada yada. With this football season, you know all looks promising right now. But in today's day, with all the uncertainty, you don't even know if the Super Bowl is going to be played on this date, right? So it's just one more thing to factor in. And then the last last point, which is, you know, number five is you need to check the rules 
of your sports book and see when these books, when these bets are going to grade. And if there is any like things that would push the bet. So for example, for a ton of the sports books right now, not playing the game on a certain date voids the bet completely. So if the Super Bowl, for example, had to move a day for whatever reason, the books can and may or may not void that bet. If you're looking at a season long win total future, then, you know, if a team has to miss a couple games and they don't play, let's talk, you know, NBA, they don't play an 82 game season, then again, the book, the bet can be pushed or avoided or canceled. And a lot of the times with, you know, these sports books, you are essentially leaving it all in their hands. You don't have a say on what gets graded. It's at the sports books manager's discretion. So when factoring in all five of those things, personally, I do not bet a ton of futures and I, I wouldn't advocate people to bet a ton of futures. But if you can get around that and you can find these edges, power to you. Rob, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what you said. And I'm not someone that typically ties up um, a lot of futures bets for a lot of the reasons that you've mentioned there. What I will say is that I do think that there are advantages and edges to be found in the futures market based off of I'll call it speculation, but I'll, I'll give an example here, right? So some some prominent offshores have already posted uh, Super Bowl odds for next year, but they're largely based off of the rosters as they stand right now. Like if you go top to bottom, it's based off of what we know the rosters are going to be. And I think in a lot of cases, you can look for upside with certain teams, teams that have a large amount of, of Cap space, for example, in in hard cap sports, whether that be the NFL or the NHL. Like I, I look at, I'll even throw out an example here, but like a team like Washington, who is priced in the 66 to one range for the Super Bowl next year. Well, yeah, I mean, if, if Alex Smith is their starting quarterback next year, then fine, that price makes a whole lot of sense. But this is a team that is going to be in the market to upgrade at quarterback. That is their biggest liability. There's some cap space there. So it's not outside the realm of possibility that Deshaun Watson gets traded to Washington and then all of a sudden they're a 15 to one team and you're laughing at the ticket that you have. Now, obviously there's speculation, there's guesswork. They might do nothing at the quarterback position and then you're stuck with a 66 to one ticket tied up for over a year. And I mean, nobody really wants that. But there are some scenarios I think where if you understand sports, you could put yourself in the mindset of what these GMs are going to try to do and maybe predict landing spots for teams, then I, I, I don't mind that. And I think there are some people out there that are really good at that. I know that there was a lot of people posting about the Rams being a suitor for um, Matt Stafford before that trade happened and took out futures on um, on the Rams. I mean, very low limits because that's all that's posted right now. But to me, those are the types of bets that I'm going to be looking for if I'm if I'm going to tie up money for a year. For sure. So you do make some good points there. Uh, but I, I still think for anybody listening, if you want to factor this into an overall expected value calculation, what you then should be doing is is saying, I think that Washington has, you know, X chance of getting what, what would it be? What would the highest be? Deshaun Watson. So I think Washington has, you know, an X amount chance to get Deshaun Watson. If they get Deshaun Watson, here's where I would then price them. So if they did get Watson, then I would have on my bet, you know, whatever it be, maybe a 40% edge or a 50% edge. If I uh, think that they're going to get Deshaun Watson 50% of the time, then I have an edge that can overcome both the sportsbook VIG and the time value of money factor that we just discussed. So I all, all for it. Um, and, and I mean, I, I think what you're also saying is it's not really worth it to bet the teams that might be at the top of the board already that have no upside. You're, you're not losing upside. much. In, you're not losing much in terms of value anyways, right? Like what's the worst that can happen in a lot of these cases? The, the Rams or the Packers go from 12 to 1 to 11 to 1 or 10 to 1. And you still could probably find a stale 12 to 1 somewhere else like if you're doing good enough line shopping. So there's really not a whole lot of upside in chasing these favorites at the top of the board. And honestly, it depends on the sport too, because like I would argue that in the NBA, there's, unless you think a team is going to be able to attract a superstar, there's not really an, uh, a lot of upside in betting a lot of these long shots anyways. Like you're not winning without a superstar in the NBA anymore, right? So it, it's sport specific. There's a lot of things to factor in, but I wholeheartedly agree with your point about expected value. I think that's just naturally 
a great way to make decisions, not, not only in sports betting, but in life. Like you should be approach decision-making with a very probabilistic kind of mindset. And I, I think that's like difficult to do in a scenario like this, but it's not impossible to at least come up with some educated guesses on this is Washington's chance to win the Super Bowl if they get Deshaun Watson. This is Washington's chance to win the Super Bowl if they get a mid-tier quarterback like Kirk Cousins, for example, right? Um, I think you can price out a lot of those scenarios and, and kind of arrive at at least an educated guess on your EV. Got it. So in turn, then, I guess what you're saying is the opposite is any team that may not be in the market to get a QB and that might be priced in a, in a range that has minimal upside would be probably your, your worst bet. So if I'm looking at the board somewhere that is already set, for example, like a Seattle Seahawks where, you know, you know, Russell Wilson's going to be there next year or even the middle of the board teams like the Chargers where, you know, Herbert's the guy moving forward. Those are the teams where typically you wouldn't see the swing in expected value very much. Right. Unless you have a substantial edge, like somebody might firmly believe that a future line is way off and they're going to bet that. And I can't blame them for that because especially if it's enough to overcome exactly what you're talking about, which is the hold and then the the opportunity cost of putting that money elsewhere over the course of a year. If you can overcome that and you think you still have an edge, go out and bet it. Like, I'm not going to tell you to do otherwise, but uh, in a lot of the cases, it's just really hard to to come up with that or, or to, to overcome that. And unless you're looking at something that is drastically mispriced because there's information that we do not know now that we will know months from now. Um, and you're kind of accounting for that. So that's not always the case. Like look at Miami, the Miami Dolphins in futures markets next year are 20 to one. That's overpriced if they don't acquire a quarterback. I mean, a lot of people are saying Miami's the favorite to get Deshaun Watson or that, you know, they might be looking for a quarterback in some capacity, but like you're betting based off of public news already stuff that's being reported. And it's no different than like when you're buying stocks, right? Like once the news hits, it's like, get out. It's, it's common knowledge now. Um, even some people get out like really, really quickly from that situation. And I think it's the same in sports betting, but if there are people who excel at being able to make logical conclusions on where players will end up. And I think that they have an advantage over the futures markets in a lot of cases. Got to win. You got to win your bet twice. Almost. You got to, you got to get the quarterback and get the speculation, right? And then they still got to go ahead and go out and win that Super Bowl or win the division or whatever you might've bet. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I think the best piece of it, I agree, I agree with a lot of what you said, like wholeheartedly. I, I, I think that you make a lot of excellent points to me. It's you need a really big edge to tie up your money for that amount of time. And that's sort of what I'm getting at. You need to have a, a really big edge or feel like there's, there's some sort of chance, like the upside of that wager is so enormous that you can't just let it sit there and wait for the news to come out. Because all of a sudden tomorrow, there could be a, a, an article that leaks or Adam Schefter tweets that the, that wa- the Washington football team has made contact with the Houston Texans. And boom, there goes your number. See you later. It's a rush. Whoever gets it first gets it and and that's it. Or or it, the whole market just gets pulled off the board and gets reopened with Washington price like they already have him, right? Got it. So it's a good debate. And I think the last thing I wanted to ask you specifically was when looking at hockey futures, same kind of deal, point total, Stanley Cup, or is it maybe, you know, you're looking at where a team could upgrade at goalie or what what things are you potentially looking at in that aspect for NHL? Point totals, I don't mind tying up over the course of the season because there's substantial edges to be had. Uh, you can get good enough money down that it's not like something where you're like, oh, this is only peanuts that I'm, I'm, there's no, there's no point. Like just some of the markets in the NHL leading up into this year were completely mispriced. Like yes or no odds on teams to make the playoffs. For example, there were literally edges of 30%, which you are not going to find in sports markets. So for me, I have no problem tying up money over the course of five, six months um, five months or so the NHL season this year at an edge that's that high with a decent amount that I'm able to get down on those. I bet 26 teams, yes or no, to make the playoffs this year. I had a minimum of 5% edge on every single one of those bets to put into perspective how bad that market was. So there's always going to be scenarios where it makes sense to do it. 
But then I looked at the futures market for NHL this year. Divisional futures were way off. I thought the favorites were way underpriced. Again, no problem betting those. But Stanley Cup, like, there wasn't much to be had. I'm looking at teams with salary cap space. A lot of those teams, even if they could get someone at the trade deadline, they wouldn't because they don't want to spend to the top of the salary cap just in general. They're, they're you know, uh, less wealthy teams. So I, I think all these factors come into play. Um, I mean, it always crosses my mind. Like, do, do I want this bet sitting in my account here for five months, six months, a year? That's always something that I have to consider. And if that money is best better utilized elsewhere, but these are softer markets too than betting on an NFL point spread in total, right? So when you can find an edge like that, you you have to jump on it. Absolutely. So I think to conclude, absolutely, you, you can bet futures markets, but in order to do so, you have to be quantifying the future value and all the other risks that come associated with betting the future markets. And, and to the average person who's just looking at the screen once and picking their favorite team, you likely will not have an edge. But the last point I want to make before we close off is, you know, this is all with the, we're talking here in the sense of we want to make money on these. We want to have expected value, we want to have an edge. But I will say betting a futures bet on your favorite team, you know, tying up, throwing a couple bucks on a lottery ticket, absolutely nothing wrong with that as long as you know what you're getting out of it and you know you're, you're probably torching some money. But, you know, the feeling you may get when your team wins Stanley Cup or the Super Bowl, if that outweighs the, the cost of those couple bucks you're losing in value, then that's all good as well. I completely agree. There's an entertainment component of betting on sports just in general. Uh, even positive expected value bettors like myself, like you, Johnny, like we're not immune to just throwing some money down. Like when we're on the golf course together you know, and with friends who we know are better than us, I'll have some fun. You know, I'll, I'll gamble on it. Like I know in the long run, I'm probably not coming out ahead on a lot of those wagers, but it's entertainment. And like, I'd be going to the movies if we were in, in, in a pandemic right now. And I'd be spending, you know, 20 bucks on a movie ticket and popcorn. And instead of that, if, if, if you want your entertainment value in betting on sports and you know, you don't have an edge, as long as it's within your limits, as long as you're doing it for fun, it's entertainment. Um, so I, I don't fault anyone for that. It's more so if you're doing it seriously, listen to a lot of the stuff that we're talking about in general. If you have the expectation to, to win over time, you can't just be betting your favorite teams and putting futures on your favorite teams. Like that's, that's not going to work out for you over the, cor the course of the long run. But uh, recreational better, looking for entertainment value. I don't discriminate. I mean, you do what you want to do with your own money. And if, that, if that's what makes you happy, um, as long as you know that the expectation is you're probably going to lose over time, then by all means, go for it. Absolutely. Thanks everyone for listening and we will see you next week.